Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory as elders only will meet the Lord willing at 8pm tomorrow and this afternoon's worship service will be led by Brother Plater. Before we commence this service, let us sing together hymn 82 verse 1. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Let us rise and worship the Lord. As we come to worship our triune God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now sing praise to our God who is our refuge and strength, and we'll do so with the words of Psalm 46, verses... Verse 1, 3, and 5. Thank you. 
On Psalm 145, verse 4, it says, One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Let us now declare the greatness of our triune God, and we'll do so with the words of Him one. since we can't do anything in our own strength, let us now come before God and ask for his blessing. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we come before you as your church. We come as those who have been called out of the light and into your, out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. And Father, we gather this afternoon once again around your word. Your word is a light to our path. It's one of the keys of the kingdom of heaven by which heaven itself is is open and closed to us. It comforts us when we're afflicted. It's our shield and it's our sword against Satan's attacks. And it's also our counselor. It's where we find your wisdom on full display. It's the lens by which we see who you are, our great and awesome God. And as we read your word, we see a testimony of your love and your goodness to us. How you did not leave this world in its fallen state, in its rebellion against you, but rather you you sent your son, Jesus. You sent him to die on the cross for us and in our place. And you have raised him from the dead and he now sits on high. And he pours out his spirit in our hearts. And so here we are gathered because of the work of your spirit. And so we pray that that your word would speak powerfully to us. That we would receive its instruction, that we would think upon heavenly things. Please nourish us now with the only food that our hearts really need. Lord Jesus, you said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes 
from your mouth. And so we pray that you would fill us and that you would satisfy us. We ask all of this in the name of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this afternoon, as we've been moving through the Lord's Prayer, we're going to come to the last petition of the prayer. And in preparation for that, we'll read from two passages. Uh, The first passage comes from Matthew 26. And you'll find that on page 991 of of the church Bible. So Matthew 26, this is the in the middle of the passion narrative where it describes the suffering and death of, of Jesus Christ. And we'll look at particularly verses 26 through to 30. And then also, sorry, not 26 through 30, 30 through 35. And then also 69 through to 75. So Matthew 26, they've just celebrated the Lord's Supper. Jesus has had Passover with his disciples, and now we read about his uh, prophecy of Peter's denial. So Matthew 26, here now the word of the Lord. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now let's move to uh, verse 69 through 75. So Jesus has been arrested and out moves to Peter. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you, are, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And the second passage now that we will read from is uh, from the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 5. The letter of 1 Peter is addressed to a large group of Christians who are exiles. And it's a letter of encouragement to them as they not only suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, but also as they just endeavor to live out their faith in Christ. And so verse 5, Peter speaks and exhorts the elders. He says there in in chapter 5, we'll read the whole chapter. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So far, the reading of God's word may bless it to our lives. In connection with that, we'll sing from Psalm 7. Psalm 7, verse, verse 1 and 
Our confessional reading this afternoon is the final Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, dealing with the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Day 52, you'll find that on page 563 of the, the Book of Praise. So there it is asked and it's answered, what is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. What does the word Amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of Him. We'll now proceed to the proclamation of the gospel. And after the proclamation, we'll sing from Psalm, I mean, hymn 41, verses 1 through 3. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon as we study God's word as it's summarized in, in Lord's Day 52, let's begin with a, a bit of a story, an adventure story, as it were. So there was a man named Christian, and he came from a, a city called Destruction, and while he lived there, he lived with this immense burden on his back. It was this huge burden that he couldn't, he couldn't lift, and his life was horrible. And so one day as he's walking around with this immense burden on his back, he, he meets a man named Evangel. And Evangel says to him, you know what, if you enter the narrow gate, if you enter the narrow gate, then you'll be freed of your burden. And if you, as you travel that narrow road, you can go to this, this great and beautiful city with a loving king. And so off he goes. He goes walking. He, he enters through the narrow gate. And he starts walking that narrow road. And then suddenly he meets this beast, this horrendous beast called Apollyon. It's a kind of beast that has, you know, teeth like a lion. It's this hideous monster with scales. It's breathing out fire, it's breathing out smoke. And this beast confronts Christian and he says, where are you going? And Christian says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm from the city of destruction and I'm going to the city of Zion, the celestial city. And Napoleon says, then you're one of my subjects, for all the country of destruction belongs to me. I am the prince, I am the god of it. Why have you run away from your king? And he responds tentatively saying, well, you're no longer my king. My king is the prince of peace, and my allegiance is to him. And then this great dragon, this beast full of anger and wrath, he attacks Christians vehemently. I'll leave you to read the rest of the story. It's from 
uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And it's a story about all those who believe in Jesus Christ, the, the, the road that they travel. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we've been set free from our burdens. We are freed from the prince of evil. We're moved from that kingdom of destruction. And now we are pilgrims on our way to the celestial city, the city of God. But then as we travel that road, that narrow road, we are attacked, aren't we? Satan, the devil, he's doing everything in his power to bring us back into subjection to himself. You see, while God is at work calling people out of darkness, uh, Satan is at work. He's trying to pull us back into the darkness. You see, brothers and sisters, God is not the only one that wants our hearts. Satan also wants them. And this is why Jesus teaches his disciples to pray the sixth petition, to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He says to his disciples, as you walk that narrow road where you will often be tempted to waver off the path and fall, pray for protection. Pray for God's help in the battle that you face. And so as we study God's word, as it's summarized here in Lord's Day 52, we'll, we'll do so under this theme. Pray for God's power to resist Satan's attacks. So we'll look at three things. Firstly, we'll look at our spiritual danger, and then the source of our strength, and finally our sure certainty. So in the first question of Lord's Day 52, the catechism says that our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. There's no ceasefire, there's no armistice, it's constant uh, beratement, it's constant battle. It never stops. Now Peter, when he speaks in his letter that we read together, he focuses particularly on the devil. And he describes the devil as this roaring lion. Seeking to devour someone. He says there, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The psalmists use similar imagery. We sang Psalm 7 together, and the psalmist cries out to God. He cries out to God, lest, like a lion, his enemies tear him apart, rending him in pieces with none to deliver And Peter says, this is exactly what the devil is doing. He is on the move. He's prowling around. And it's very interesting, that word, prowling around, it comes back in the Old Testament. We read it in the book of Job, the very first chapter. So Job is a book about the suffering of of one of God's servants. And in the opening chapter, you get this scene from heaven. And God asks Satan, what were you doing? And Satan says, he was going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Well, he's not taking a holiday. He's not just frolicking about on the earth, gingerly walking through the countryside. No, it's the same word. He was prowling around. He's seeking someone to devour. His goal is destruction. He's going to and fro. He's lurking in secret, hiding in the thicket, just waiting for prey. And that's the danger we face as we walk our Christian road. There is a a lion prowling around. So apparently last year at the Taronga Zoo in Sydney, five lions escaped from from their pen. 
And the zoo has this overnight stay program called Roar and Snore. And so suddenly, early in the morning, there was a call that went out. You know, five lions had, had escaped. And so suddenly they're rushed off. All the guests were rushed to safety. Now, congregation, congregation, imagine you're in that place. You're in that position. You went there for an overnight stay, and suddenly you hear that five lions are on the loose. Well, I don't think you're going to be sitting there sleeping in your swag, or sleeping, or casually sitting in a chair while there's five lions on the loose. No, you're going to be, there's adrenaline's going to be running through your body as you try to get yourself to safety. Now, Peter says that's the reality of the Christian life. That's the world that we live in. We're not walking this world with a, a physical lion that's prowling around. No, Peter says it's a spiritual lion. It's the physical, it's the spiritual forces of darkness that are seeking to destroy us, that are waging war against our souls. It's a similar picture that we find in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 12, we get a picture of the beast, and it's Satan once again. And Satan is described as this fierce beast who is out to destroy the church, out to destroy anyone who believes in God. It says in Revelation 12, verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth, for the devil has come down in great wrath because he knows his time is short. There is a spiritual lion at loose, on the loose, brothers and sisters. And we are his prey. We are the targets that is seeking to, he's seeking to destroy. You see, we cannot underestimate the power of the devil. Because that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Maybe we're uh, new to this church. And Satan wants us not to think about spiritual forces of darkness. He doesn't want us to believe in their reality. When we hear the devil, he wants us to think about a comic book figure in, in, in red tights and with horns. He doesn't want us to believe that it's real. And, and if we do believe in the devil and in spiritual forces, he wants us to go through our day with as little thought as possible to what they're up to. If he can get us to go through our day underestimating the spiritual forces and the danger that we face and overestimating our own ability, then he's happy. Because then he can devour us. Because then we're easy prey to his attacks. We will walk into his traps unknowingly and we will fall. And this is why Peter tells us, he commands us, he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. That's a similar phrase that has come up in, in earlier in 1 Peter. He says in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the word sober-minded, it, it literally means that you're not intoxicated. It means that you're not drunk. If we just think about that for a moment, if someone is drunk, brothers and sisters, what happens to them? Well, they lose their inhibitions. They lose their capacity to judge their situation well. And so they make decisions that they normally wouldn't make. And so Peter is saying, don't get lulled into a false sense of security. 
He's saying avoid, he's calling us to avoid a spiritual stupor where our, our minds are impaired so that we can't judge our situations rightly. Maybe we're just lulled by a false sense of security or maybe we're just going through life without little thought of how the devil is tempting us. How he's tempting us when we go to the gym. How he's tempting us when we're at work with our colleagues. How he's tempting us when we're at home taking care of our kids. How he's tempting us at the shops or when we're at school with our friends or wherever we are. How is he tempting us? And being sober-minded is being aware of that. As you walk through life, that you're aware, okay, maybe Satan's going to tempt me here or there. But if we're intoxicated spiritually, we're not going to give much thought to that. We're not going to have clarity around that. And so the Apostle Peter tells us, he says, be sober-minded. Have clarity about the devil and about the, the spiritual power that he has. And then what is more, Peter commands us, he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. And you know, brothers and sisters, the reason why Peter tells us to be watchful. Because he knows exactly what happens to believers when they're not watchful. He knows from experience what happens when you overestimate your own abilities to stand and to face Satan on your own and underestimate the power of the devil. You see, Peter heard these words from Jesus himself. In Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with some of the disciples. And he's there and he's experiencing the weight of what he's about to do. He's staring down the barrel of God's wrath. And the disciples are sleeping. The disciples are sleeping. And so he comes to them and he says, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch. Be watchful and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. They were sleeping. They had no idea the spiritual battle that was being fought right in that very moment. While the betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ was at hand, while Satan was lurking in the garden, they were sleeping. And think about that for, for Peter. Jesus had just told them, that all were going to fall away. We read that together. And Peter stands up and he says, Though all will fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I will never fall away, Jesus. He had no idea the spiritual forces at play. He totally overestimated his abilities. And what happened? He wasn't watchful. And he was attacked. And he fell. He denied his Lord not once, not twice, but three times. You see, Peter thought that he could, he could stand in his own strength. He thought that, that he could stand in his own power. And he fell. He fell even to what the confessions tell us, grievous sin. You see, the Apostle Peter knows what the catechism meant when it says that in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand for a moment. He knew that from his own experience. He was proud. He was, he was confident, self-confident. And he was humbled. You see, it's not, it's, it's not a coincidence that Peter 
tells his readers to humble themselves before the mighty hand of God, that he tells them to be watchful, to be alert, because the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. Because he's experienced the devil's attacks and he's fallen before. He knows that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So brothers and sisters, we need to realize the spiritual danger that we're in. We can't be naive to the devil's attacks. Because Satan, he hates our family. He hates our families because he knows what an impact they can have on this world. He hates godly marriages because he knows what a sanctifying power it is. He hates your friendships because he knows how encouraging good godly friends are. And he hates us. He loves us as much as a lion loves its lunch. He wants to devour us. And he's going to do that in any area he can. You see, often we can be aware of the devil's attacks in certain areas where we know we've fallen before. You know, we can, we can think to ourselves, well, here's an area that I'm particularly uh, vulnerable. And so you pay careful attention there because you've fallen there before. You've succumbed to his temptations. But the devil is not attacking you in one area of life. He's attacking you at any moment possible. He's awaiting for any moment where you're vulnerable. So brothers and sisters, are you vigilant? Are you watchful? Because the devil is prowling around seeking your destruction. It's not for no reason that Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As Paul says, let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. You see, we face a very formidable force. We face a very skilled opponent. And maybe some of you hear that, and maybe it fills you with, with fear. Maybe you realize how you've paid attention to maybe one area of your life, but you haven't been very watchful in other areas. Maybe it scares you when you hear of the, the devil's power. And in a way, brothers and sisters, that's good. Because we're not wrestling with something physical. We're not wrestling with physical powers, but we're, we're battling against spiritual forces, against principalities and powers, as Paul says in Ephesians. What more terrifying thing could there be than that? Battling spiritual forces. And yet the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to end there. He doesn't want us to stay in fear. He inspired Peter to write this letter not to fill his readers with terror and fear, but rather to give them hope, a living hope, so that they might be empowered to endure their trials and their sufferings, but also so that they might be empowered to resist the devil. He didn't want them to despair. And isn't that exactly what Satan wants us to do? You know, think of a moment where you're tempted. You know, maybe you're by yourself, you're watching Netflix, and you're tempted to watch a certain show. And all of a sudden, you just feel the intensity of it. You're, you want to click on it. And what happens is Satan tries to tell you that you're all alone. And that it's so intense that no one else has experienced the intensity of the temptation that you are. He wants you to believe that it's inevitable. That maybe you're going to last for a few minutes, but ultimately you're going to watch it. You're going to fall. 
He wants us to feel alone in, in those moments. He wants us to despair so that we just succumb when he comes against us in attack. That's not what Peter wants. He doesn't want us to be filled with despair. He, he doesn't want us to believe that falling into sin is inevitable. Rather, he wants us to believe that victory is possible. He wants us to believe that if you resist the devil, as it says in James, that he will flee you. And so he continues in verse 9 and he says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone. Resist him, firm in your faith. The word resist, it means an intentional action. It's, it's committed. It's determined. And the word, it speaks of confidence as well. It's saying that we can withstand Satan's attacks. Peter is writing fully persuaded that it is possible. Now maybe the question we should ask then is, well, how is, is Peter so confident? How is he so triumphant? Because our experiences are often so different, aren't they? Our experiences is often that we fall. And so how is Peter so triumphant, so confident? Well, it's not because he believes that we can stand in our own, in our own strength. Because he's been there before, he's done that, and he fell. He fell grievously. Now, Peter is so triumphant and, and confident because he knows that the source of our strength is not physical, it's not us. We're not fighting against Satan and against the devil with our own strength, but no, we're fighting with the power of God, with his strength, with the God who created the universe through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts. You see, before the great enemy Satan, we will fall in and of ourselves. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will triumph because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And in those moments, Peter doesn't want us to turn inward. He wants us to look upward to our God. He wants us to entrust ourselves, as it says in, in, verse four, in chapter 4, to the, the faithful creator who will empower us. It's one of encouragement. He's saying we can stand. And we're not standing because of our strength, but we're standing in the power of God. God is not calling us to fight Satan with physical strength, but with his power. And you see that it comes through in the very next verse. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, what's happening in this verse is, is Peter is looking ahead to the, the final day, the, the great day, when Jesus will come back. He, so he's turning to the future to give his readers hope. He wants them to look at that heavenly inheritance, the inheritance that is undefiled, that is unfading, that is kept in heaven for them. Because one day God is going to restore all that's been broken. He's going to strengthen and he's going to establish us forever. But then maybe you think to yourselves, well, how is that encouraging in a moment of weakness when you're battling against sin? How is that future glory helpful? Like, what about the present? And yet the thing is, for Peter, salvation is not just something that's future, but rather it's something that we experience already today. 
Peter tells his readers that God is protecting them in the here and now. He's protecting them on their way so that they make it to that great celestial city. He says in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last day. Salvation hasn't come in in fullness, but it is here. And God is protecting us. He's saying that God gives us strength, that God will strengthen us. He will establish us. And so brothers and sisters, when you are tempted, cry out to God. Pray to God. Ask for that strength. Pray for the strength, for the strength that is no match for Satan. God's power is no match for Satan. It's not as though there's God and there's Satan and they're equal forces that are battling against each other. Satan is but a creature. And God's Holy Spirit is in our hearts, empowering us. And so pray that He would equip you. So that you might stand. Believe it when he says that he's going to give you a way of escape. Believe it when he promises to guard you and to protect you. Because you're not alone. And how is God guarding us and how is he protecting us? Well in 1 John 5 verse 18, the apostle promises us something beautiful. He says there, we know that everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The one born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Jesus guards us. Jesus protects us. And he did that with Peter. It's very interesting, although Peter fell, it says in Luke... Jesus says to Peter, he says, that Satan demanded to have him, that he might sift him like wheat. And then he says, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Satan, the roaring lion, demanded to have Peter so that he might devour him. But Jesus prayed for him. He interceded for him so that his faith would not fail. And so even though he fell into sin, he was not shipwrecked in his faith because Christ prayed for him because Christ interceded for him and if that was true in Christ's earthly ministry before he received all power and all glory then will not that be true now on this side of Calvary you see Jesus the one who protects us the one who's been born of God he is the one who triumphed over the devil in the wilderness when the devil attacked him and tempted him not once did he fall not once did he sin And more than that, he who was born of God, Jesus Christ, he triumphed over the devil through his suffering and through his death. It says in Colossians 2 that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. And now he's ascended into heaven and he's enthroned and he has all the power in the world. And he pours out that into our hearts the Holy Spirit is in us equipping us empowering us so that we can fight and we can stand against the devil you see it's a very encouraging message it's very triumphant that's why Peter says resist him because you can by the power of God 
And so, brothers and sisters, when Satan comes, and he's going to come, he's going to tempt you this week, resist him, fully convinced that God will equip you, that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. But notice, brothers and sisters, that Christ interceded for Peter. He interceded, he prayed for Peter. Peter fell into sin. And so there's encouragement there that not only the one who has been born of God is the one who, who empowers us, but he is also the one who forgives us, who intercedes for us at the Father's right hand. Because we do battle against sin and we do fall. All of us here have done that. We do sin. And so in those moments, don't despair, but look to Jesus Christ, who is in heaven, who intercedes for us. To borrow the words of John, I'm preaching these things to you, that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, know that we have an advocate before the Father Christ, Jesus the righteous, who intercedes for us, so that we might not be shipwrecked in our faith, but rather that he might hold on to us. And that we might experience forgiveness of sins in him. So Jesus empowers us. And he also intercedes for us when we fall. And he protects us. And we're being guarded as we make our way to that celestial city. And so pray to him fully confident that he will equip you. In congregation, when we end our prayer... Even prayers that we'd be delivered from temptation, we end that with the word Amen. Christ teaches us to end our prayer with Amen. Now, contrary to what our toddlers might, might think, the word doesn't mean that you know, dinner's over, it's time to play, or that we can finally open our eyes after closing them for so long. But rather, it's a, it's a word full of certainty and full of assurance we confess there that amen means it is true and that it is certain. And that word applies not just, that word applies to the whole, all the different petitions of the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, your glory, uh, when you pray the petition, your glory, hallowed be your name. When you pray that petition, hallowed be your name. Amen means it is true and is certain that God has heard your prayer. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread. You are the overflowing fountain of all good. Amen means it is true and is certain. God has heard your prayer. But now in the context of this sermon, we've been looking at spiritual battle and, and facing the devil's attacks. And so let's look at this word in connection with that. Because it's really beautiful what the catechism is saying here. It's saying when we, uh, when we utter the word amen, it means it is true and it is certain. It says there, that beautiful phrase, for God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. Well, isn't that what we experience when we're tempted? Just think of, think of your own life. Think of the sins that you're tempted with. So the devil comes and he tempts you. And isn't that in that moment that a part of you really wants to do it? A part of you wants to sin because it looks so promising. It looks like it's going to satisfy it's alluring, it's attractive. But then there's another part of you that says, no, I don't want to do this because it's going to dishonor my God. I don't want to do that. And so you go back and forth and there's a war in your members, as Paul says. No, I'm not going to do it. And then, 
Well, maybe I will. And then so you cry out to God and you pray the sixth petition. Lord, help us. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But do we pray that petition wholeheartedly? Isn't true that when we pray, God, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, that in that very moment, our hearts are still divided. A part of us, you know, is pleading God to give us power, to give us strength. And a part of us is hoping that God won't answer because we want to sin. And that is why Amen is so beautiful. Because could you imagine, brothers and sisters, if God only heard us, when he, if God only heard our cries for strength and our cries for help, only in those moments when we were wholeheartedly wanted what we were praying for, well, then we would never, fee- we would never receive deliverance and strength. Because that's what temptation is. Temptation is, is you're torn between two things. I want this, but I don't want this. And so Amen says that we can say Amen fully certain that even though our hearts are deceptive and a part of us wants it and a part of us doesn't want the prayer to be answered, God says He has heard our prayer and He will answer. He, he, he says that His answer to prayer and that him, him hearing us is not dependent on how we feel in that moment. What a beautiful thing that is. What a comfort when we're in the middle of temptation, crying out to God, says that God hears you and that God will equip us through the power of His Spirit. You see, here God gives full assurance because of Christ that He listens, that He pays a careful ear to our cry for help. You see God's strength in our weakness. See See His certainty when we doubt. And see his graciousness in our hours of need. And so dear Christian, brothers and sisters, pray for God's strength to fight against Apollyon, that beast, to fight against the devil, and stand firm, fully convinced of his power and his might, knowing that the spirit who is in you is more powerful than temptation outside of you. For God will strengthen us. He will protect us. He will guard us. And he will keep us. And we can be sure of that. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion and authority forever, before all times, now and forever. And so let us, as God's people, all say within our hearts, it is true and it is certain. Amen. Let us now sing of Christ's strength with the words of hymn 41, verses 1 through 3.
Let's now pray to God with a prayer of thanksgiving. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, help us rightly know you and glorify you and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your most awesome and glorious character. Lord, show us your glory. Grant that our thoughts, our words, our actions would advance your honor and praise. And may your kingdom come. Help us to submit to your loving rule more and more. Please preserve and increase your church. Destroy the schemings of the devil who tries to tear us apart. Lord, we long for the fullness of your kingdom and we look forward to the day when our faith will be sight. In the meantime, we pray that your will be done. Help us, your servants, to deny your own, our own will and without any murmuring, take up our cross and follow you as willingly and as faithfully as your heavenly servants who surround your throne. Give us this day our daily bread. As we go into this next week, provide us with all our bodily needs as well as our spiritual needs, for we know that you are the overflowing fountain of all good. Lord, help us not to place our trust in earthly securities, but only in you. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Please, Lord, do not charge to our accounts any of our sins, our debts, or the evil that still clings to us, for we know that we are, we are sinners. But forgive us in your grace. And as your children, equip us to wholeheartedly forgive one another. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we are weak. We cannot stand for a moment against our foe. And so we pray, uphold us. Please strengthen us by your awesome power through the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts, the Spirit of Christ, so that we may not be sifted by the evil one or consumed by our sin, but rather that you would equip us so that we might stand firm in the faith and resist the devil. For Lord, you are a loving king and having power over all things, you are more than willing and able to give us all that is good. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. And we pray this fully certain and fully assured that even as we pray, you hear us. Not because of our worthiness, not because we feel this completely in our hearts, but because of Jesus, our Savior in heaven. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your thank offerings. And the offering today, is, or this afternoon, is for the ministry of mercy. And as you do so, remember the words of Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 8. says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. And after, we'll sing from hymn 71, verses 1 and 2.
Receive the blessing of the God who protects you and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.